0: Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today's Gospel reading speaks of a secret that is for us now today, not so secret anymore. Here in our reading from Mark chapter eight, Jesus speaks first to his 12 closest disciples alone uh, in a more or less private setting. What he tells them, at at that time at least, was a a private matter, something that Jesus had not yet publicly revealed to all of the the crowds of people who came to hear him and uh, hear him teach and and see him perform miracles. But it was something that was especially important for those closest followers of Jesus to understand as Jesus now begins a transition in his ministry from uh, mainly focusing on public teaching of God's word and and performing miracles to show that he is the Savior, the Son of God, and now to marching steadily to his death on the cross. And so um, Mark, inspired by God's Holy Spirit, writes these words allowing us to listen in on that private conversation because we now, by God's grace, are included among that number of Jesus' disciples, of those Followers of his who believe in him as the Son of God and the Savior. We, by God's grace, have come to believe what the 12 disciples had just in in the verses before our reading began, what they had just confessed about Jesus. That he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so we see that it was only after that confession of faith about who Jesus is that Jesus now begins to teach them the surprising secret That, as we read in verse 31, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the experts in the law, be killed, and after three days, rise again. And in the next verse, Mark emphasizes that Jesus was speaking plainly to them about these things. We kind of get the sense that Jesus realized how difficult it would be for the disciples to accept these facts, to accept that these things would happen to Jesus, whom they believed was the Messiah. Remember that the disciples, as so many other people among the Jews at that time, had been conditioned by uh, their their teachers of God's word, their rabbis, to look for a, a powerful, political Messiah who would restore the independence and glory of the nation of Israel Uh, who would rally uh, the people of Israel to to rise up and revolt against the foreign oppressors uh, who were ruling over them at that time. At, At that time, the Roman Empire and its armies. The people might have to die in support of this Messiah and his mission. But if those hopes that they had for their Messiah were to come to fruition, then the Messiah himself, of course, could not die if he was going to be able to do all those great things for the people of Israel and to restore their nation and its glory. We can imagine that Peter's rebuke of Jesus probably had quite an argumentative tone to it. We can almost hear uh, Peter lecturing Jesus, well Jesus, common sense will tell you that only those who take the fullest advantage of their enemies and conquer them will ever get any recognition in this world. And so, the Messiah must be like that, too. And now you've proven your ability to do miracles and to accomplish what we need you to accomplish for our people. So now, don't go letting thoughts of defeat and dying in the face of this mounting opposition to you cause you to give up now on your mission. Especially not now when we've just discovered that you are, are the center of our hopes for our nation. Jesus, you can count on us to be with you to further your cause. And there will be more like us who are willing to join with you to fight. Well, if it was things like that, that Peter said in his rebuke of Jesus, or something along that vein, it's no wonder then that we see Jesus rebuking Peter and in fact referring to him, or or at least these thoughts that he was expressing as from the devil himself. Get behind me, Satan, Jesus said to Peter. In all his person-to-person teaching of the disciples from that point onward, Jesus insisted that God brings his desired intentions to pass in ways that are exactly opposite of the world's idea of success. So he tells them that the Christ, the Messiah, must be, go through total self-denial and self-sacrifice in order to atone for the self-centeredness of humanity. Peter, in wanting nothing like that for Jesus, was, without realizing it himself, in effect cutting himself off from the ultimate good that Jesus wanted to do for him and for all mankind. Salvation from their sins and from death and hell, not only temporary, eternal uh, uh, rescue and and restoration. And although we are disciples of Jesus, our circumstances, of course, are considerably different from the circumstances of those 12 disciples when Jesus first spoke to them about his suffering and dying. We know that what Jesus predicted came true in horrible reality when he died on the cross. We have the benefit of having the gospel proclamation of what the betrayal, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus have actually accomplished for our salvation. And so we, today, no longer protest against Jesus' talk of of dying and suffering. In fact, instead, we hold it as central to our Christian faith. We, in fact, make the, the instrument of that shameful torture and death as the main symbol of our faith, the cross. But we can, like Peter, still be cutting ourselves off unintentionally from the good that God intends for us if we, like he did, reject that principle of self-giving by which the kingdom of God takes its form in this world. For example, as long as we are hesitant or unwilling to help an enemy, someone who is opposed to us, who perhaps has been, has been mean or has mistreated us, if we are hesitant to, to help them and to show love to them, then, in fact, Satan's will is being done and not God's. While Christian disciples today speak so much about trusting God to take care of us when we die, many of us aren't so ready to let God take care of us throughout a life of self-denial and self-giving. Insofar as we Christians act on impulse or with selfish common sense, according to the worldly traditional value system, then in those cases, Jesus will have to respond to us just as he responded to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. And so we must appreciate the fact that rebuke from Jesus is in fact part of his ministry to his disciples. He cares deeply about those who believe in and follow him. And so we need to sense very clearly that whatever causes us to resist God's way of self-giving love is in fact from the devil and it is deadly to our faith and to true life with God. And in fact, that Sin, that self-centeredness, is the real cause of Jesus suffering and dying. Because it was to rescue us from our self-centeredness and sin that Jesus did suffer and die. And that awareness of ourselves being dead in sin involves us, then, in the death of Jesus as our Savior. But Jesus had more than rebuke for Peter and the 12 disciples. Part of Jesus' prediction was that although he would indeed suffer many things and be killed, that he would also, after three days, rise again. Now first, the disciples apparently didn't really hear or or didn't really understand the, the full meaning of Jesus' promise of a resurrection. But Jesus persisted always including the promise of the resurrection with every prediction that he made about his suffering and death. As part of his ministry among us, Jesus also wants to impress upon us the importance of his resurrection. Because we live now after Easter has already happened. We, of course, have already heard many times about the the full biblical witness to Jesus' resurrection as he promises to us a life of blessedness after we die and he rises, raises us back to new life and gives us eternal life with him in heaven. The Holy Spirit has used this good news to fill us not only with hope for the future that, that lies beyond the grave, but also with the impulse to love and to serve our Savior right here, right now, in this life, in this world. But this aspect of the resurrection message often tends to have the the weakest impact on us comparatively, just as it was with those first disciples of Jesus. When we fail to fully hear what Jesus and the Christian resurrection is all about, that's a, a great loss for us. We are greatly missing out on the fullness of the Christian life and faith. the personal thing that goes on between Jesus and every true believer centers first on his dying and his rising for us, and then on our dying and rising together with him. Through the Gospel that tells us about Jesus dying to take away all sin, we believe that our sins also are fully forgiven. We are also stirred by the power of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts through that message of the gospel to trust God more and more as the Father who perfectly, lovingly cares for us so that we are able and willing to act more and more forgiving and self-giving in our interactions with people around us in our lives, just in the same way that Jesus has acted towards us, willing to sacrifice his life to save us from our sins. And he calls on us in the same way to lay down, be willing at least to lay down our lives for those around us. But life for us as Christians is not one of effortless self-improvement. It's rather a constant, ongoing process of recognizing that we are by nature dead in sin and instead each day redirecting our hope again to our Savior for the full forgiveness of our sins through his death on the cross for us. Christian life means being joined together with Jesus through baptism, connected with him in his death and his resurrection so that we die to sin each day and each day are raised to newness of life as we remember the life that he has given to us through baptism. So the life of God within us directs us in this daily process of dying to sin and living the new life in firm confidence that we are his now and we will be his forever, for all eternity, by his grace. And of course, the the world around us that doesn't believe in Jesus as its Savior can't comprehend fully what really goes on between us and our Savior. I can't understand fully the significance of his dying and rising and, and their effects in us and in our lives. The joy that we have in our baptism, the, the eagerness for our fellowship with, with fellow believers and, and the reception of the Lord's Supper, our eagerness to, to go and gather together to hear his word and to study his word together and to pray together. Just so much of the world around us seems to be pious nonsense, a superstition. And so it really does no good, ultimately, in the end, just to to simply argue with people around us in the world who don't believe in Jesus as their Savior, trying to prove the reality of these things only arouses skeptical resistance to us and, and the Bible's message. But there is something about Christ and Christians that the world can understand. And so Jesus, therefore, as we continue in our text, beginning with verse 34, We see that he speaks not only to his closest disciples, but he also speaks to the whole crowd of people who had been following him uh, to witness his miracles and to ask for his healing. Jesus gives the world a way to judge whether his life and teachings and promises are really of any practical value for them. He offers the world a proper way in which to judge whether Christians' claims of, of being followers of God through Jesus the Savior, are in fact valid. And Jesus also wants any would-be follower of his to consider well what is involved in following him. And so he directs his words especially to the disciples who are there among that crowd of people who came to listen to him in order to help them do things in their lives that bring honor and glory to Jesus and to our Heavenly Father. And so Jesus describes three radically unique things that disciples, through prayerful, continuing effort under God's means of grace, can do. And the first of those is denying yourself. And that has to do with trying day after day not to let selfishness and self-centeredness rule in our hearts and rule in our relationships with others. And then Jesus goes on to call us to be willing to lose our life for his sake and for the sake of the gospel. And that involves struggling to use our, our, everything that, that God has entrusted to us, our personal, our social and economic position, not merely for our own satisfaction and enjoyment, but for the good of others, most of all. And the third thing that Jesus mentions is not being ashamed of him that includes a willingness to live as he himself lived in, in defiance of cultural standards that tend to exclude certain people it means intentionally including in our fellowship the, the social outcasts who are despised by the world regarding each individual person as someone who is dearly loved by our heavenly father specially created by him as someone for whom Jesus specifically gave up his life in order to save for eternal life with him. Those three things are the underlying attitudes and actions by which Christians actually invite the world in to to see the mystery and secret of godliness. Here is the visible demonstration of what it means to be saved through the grace of God in Jesus our Savior as our joy in being fully forgiven by our Savior Jesus is reflected in our Christ-honoring lifestyle, we will have more opportunity than ever before to talk about the, the wonderful joys of our personal relationship with Jesus and with our Heavenly Father. We will have more reason than ever to know that our words as we share the Gospel will lead others to really find the blessings that come from being in that personal relationship with Jesus, of knowing his love and full forgiveness of our sins. How much greater our joy and our blessing will be as we continue more and more to be a part of letting God's secret out into the world. What God really wants is to let this message of his forgiveness for all people to be known more and more in the world so that it is no longer a secret. He wants all the world to know it and so to be blessed through his dying and his rising, his gracious forgiving and caring for all who believe in him. So may Jesus our Savior motivate us by his self-sacrificing love to follow him in that same way, denying our cross, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him each day dying and rising with him